Today, I'm joined by Jamie Miners, who is an estate agent from Norfolk. He is co-founder and co-owner of uh, Miners and Brady, who are the 59th largest estate agent in the UK. Considering that there are only four branches, of which two have only recently been opened. Five. Five. Then, <laughs> I like that. You can see the sort of person <laughs> I'm dealing with here today. You can see that we have someone quite special on the Watkins sofa today. Jamie, thanks for joining me today. Chris, thanks for having me on. It's nice to be on the sofa. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, so, what I want to do is talk about your story as an estate agent, how you were brought up, whether you wanted to be an estate agent, what you've learned on your journey. But, you know, quite frankly, to, to be 59th in the country, you know, beating estate agents with 30, 40, 50 branches with your five, but quite frankly, if you don't mind me saying, you know, four stroke five now, like you say, that's fantastic achievement. So we're going to find out why why you've performed so well. Let's go back. You were born in 1992 in, in Norwich. And just firstly, there, there's still 58 agents ahead of us, Chris. So I, I know you say 59 is amazing, but there's still, you know, still many that are doing uh, great things. Well, it depends if, if market share is the only way of a judgment of a, of a great estate agent. For sure. We'll find out more about that in a bit. So you were born in 1992, which makes you a wee bairn. 32 years old. 34? 31. 31. Yeah. Did you have any brothers and sisters? growing up? Yeah, I was youngest of five. So three older brothers, uh, one older sister. They're all half, to be fair. My, my mum and dad both got married uh, prior to marrying each other and had two kids. So I was the, the, you know, the baby of the family, having to fight my way at the dinner table. So uh, how old were your brothers and sisters then? Two sets are nine years older than me and one set seven years older than me. Okay. So, yeah, so they're now uh, nearing 40. Old buggers, eh? Very old. <laughs> Very old. As you were growing up, did you know what you wanted to be? I actually wanted to be a football coach or okay. a football teacher. That was my that was my passion is playing football and enjoying being a Are part you a bit of good that. at it? Am I good at football? Yeah, are you good at football? Well, I can still play. I still okay. play Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I can kick a football. Don't mean I can <laughs> don't mean I can play football. <laughs> uh amateur level, I'm, I'm I can still play. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. You went into your teenage years, still wanted to be a football coach? I did. It was only until my dad basically sat me down and um, he was a very tough, tough bloke, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson type, very direct. And basically said, you're not going to earn any money. You're going to have no career. You won't be able to look after a family. You know, you need to change what you're doing, basically. How old were you when that happened? Uh, I think 16, 17, yeah, around 16. Did you go and do A-levels? Yes. Yeah, business, economics and PE. But I was just obsessed and wanted to be involved in football. Which team do you follow then? Well, I'm from Norwich, so you sort of have to support Norwich. But yeah. as a kid, it was Man United. My older brothers were United fans, so yeah. The had... Canaries, I think they call them, don't they? The Canaries. Hey, I know these. The I Canaries. Know do you know Delia, probably? I do know Delia. Yeah. When she was drunk and then went onto the, onto the pitch. She gets a hard time for that, but surely you'd rather an owner that's passionate. Yeah, exactly. I, I, think, I think it's fantastic. I could see you doing that if you owned a football club. Yeah, it's a good job I'm not into football, isn't it? Have Grantham got Grantham FC? Yeah, they've got Grantham. They've yeah. got the gingerbreads. Yeah. Uh, gingerbread was invented in Grantham. Oh, okay. There you go. You good learn something that. every day, don't you? Indeed. What, what made you... Did you fall into a stage and see it like the rest of us? Pretty much, yeah. So you did your A-levels? Yeah. Were you ever going to go to university? Never. Never. It wasn't for me. It was... You know, I was, I was brought up in an environment where work is everything. I used to have to work on a Sunday for three hours before I could get to play football. So before I had the right to go and play football, I had to, I had to put a shift in at, at home and do the garden and weed. So for me, working was, was so deep rooted into my nature. And did that come from your dad? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hard work. Phenomenally. Yeah, yeah. What did your mum teach you growing up? Uh, <sighs> delicate subject. Um, my mum, I suppose, taught me to not be afraid of what people think of you, to say exactly as you think and to be whoever you want to be. How did she teach you that? Um, I suppose by being that way herself, by, by not being afraid of what everyone thought of her, by um, being very outspoken, by not conforming to society's ways. She was very, I mean, she's, she's Portuguese, and I'm half Portuguese. And I think the Portuguese culture is very, very different to the British culture. So I had my dad who is 
I'd say very British in that old school hardened mentality and perhaps mum that was very more emotional and, and you know, open. Heart on the sleeve, sort of. Yeah. Did she make those little custard little tarts? She did. Oh, love yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. Should have brought some. Oh, sorry. Well, there you go. Never mind. Look, I don't, I don't need it. <laughs> I can't, um, I can't talk at the minute either. Cause... Yeah, no, because you must be like a size 34 waist. Yeah, Yeah, but I used to be smaller, but yeah. agency does that to you, doesn't it? It does, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I th- I'm not even going to tell you what uh, my waist size is. Um, so you got to 18. I'm assuming you just, your dad says you're going out to earn some money. Yeah, at, at 18, I was working at Primark on £4 an hour when I was 16. I was buying and selling cars, buying and selling mopeds. I was doing anything I could to earn money. Now, there's a difference between working hard and and that entrepreneurial spark. Where did the entrepreneurial start come from? Was that yeah, parents or grandparents? Yeah, no, it came from dad. He um he was a cleaner where he worked and initially went from a cleaner to end up owning the company. So I think I think watching that and watching that way of working so hard that things tend to happen for you for me was a necessity and also i wanted independence i wanted to make sure that i had my own home my own independence and that you know i could have that freedom and make that decision of what i wanted to do and when i wanted to do it so from a young age i just wanted to earn money i was cleaning boats at 13 i was working at primark at 16 i was ended up as i said earlier buying and selling mopeds was it the thrill of earning the money or spending the money not spending. I wasn't a spender at all. I wouldn't spend on anything. I was very shrewd with how I saved the money and how I then wanted to reinvest it. And how did you reinvest it? Well, back then it was back in buying and selling more mopeds. We'd go on Facebook Marketplace or back then, I don't think it was called that, but uh, sorry, Gumtree. Yeah. Not Facebook, Gumtree. We'd go on Gumtree, find some mopeds, find some cars, buy them in the local area. My friend was a mechanic. He would then tidy them up and I would sell them back on. We just kept rolling the money back into new little ventures like that. So by the age of 20, you had a little bit of a nest egg behind you. Yeah, 20, I owned my own home and I had a buy to let. Let's talk about your first job in a state agency. Is it Sapien Co? Sapien Co. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sapien Co. Okay, so I'm assuming you saw the advert and said, you've got to go and get a job like the rest of us. Yeah, it was... Um, you fell into it like... Yeah, it wasn't. It, there, weren't, there wasn't an advert out there. It was a case of I'd... I, I had this awful overgrown suit, which looking back must have looked horrendous, but I printed out maybe 50 CVs and just went door to door in all the agents and yeah, basically said, here's me, I'm very keen, can I have a job? Could have you earned enough money, you know, flipping the cars? Possibly, but it... Well, did you see that as like bonus money? Oh, yeah, I, I stopped doing that when I started a state agency. I, I think... I think if you look at the idea of selling cars and flipping cars, it wasn't something I was overly passionate about. It was just a way to try and... A means to an end. Yeah, basically. There was no, there was no purpose behind it, no career, no real progression. Whereas if you look at a state agency and you look at, you know, back then, no matter what happens right now, everybody needs a place to live. So my mind was viewing that position that whatever happens in my career, there's always going to be an industry for me to, to work upon. And that's quite mature for an 18 year old, isn't it? You have got quite an old head on young shoulders, haven't you? Possibly. Hmm. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I know we've met before. Okay. Albeit we were at a conference and had a few lager shandies. I was going to say, I'm not sure I was quite so mature then, Chris. I probably had a <laughs> 10, 10 Peronis doing headstands. So I'm not quite, I'm not, I'm not sure that's the same. No, no, no. But you, you, okay. I, I, I remember, but to be honest with you, it, it didn't, you know, but then we started talking on WhatsApp and I saw I saw you going up through the ranks. I thought, this is an interesting guy. And then I started seeing your podcast. Mm. I thought, I've got to get this guy on the sofa. Thank you for having me on. Mm. What can be minus? Indeed. So you started a job in 2010, which, let's be honest, is the shittest time to be an estate agent, and you were made redundant. Indeed. That, must, I... have, that must have hit you. Back then it didn't. You know, it really didn't. I, I had this unwavering naive belief that whatever I did I would outwork the challenges I just knew I would outwork everybody in any circumstance I had so when I was made redundant from that job people were crying in the offices people were worried about their mortgages I was I was raring to go 
I knew the opportunity um, had then you know, been taken from me. But fortunately for me, I got a job straight after and I was back into agency. And you joined as a neg and almost straight away became the branch manager. Yeah, a couple of months after. Yeah. Yeah. So I. You were so still I, 18 at the time? I was 18. I was a branch manager at 18. Yeah. So was this like a, a large firm or a small firm? Four branches and independent in Norfolk. Yeah. How the hell did you get branch manager in a matter of months? Or did someone leave and they couldn't find anyone else? No, I joined, uh, I joined a branch in Helsden, which is now a, it's actually a Connells branch now, uh, or Sequence Homes. But back then it was independent. And I, I was a negotiator there. I was out door knocking. I was out hunting. It was snowing. I was doing leaflets. I was you know, door knocking six days a week. And it, I bet the other eggs in the office weren't, were they? I made them look bad. <laughs> that was the problem. So they were then looking to open a new branch. And I was from Thorpe St. Andrew. And that was the area they wanted to open the new office and said, well, you know, we're now going to make you a branch manager. So looking back, it was a terrible decision. I should never have been made a branch manager at 18. That was literally the worst manager you can imagine. It's interesting, you know, a good valuer and everything that goes with it, that's business generation, getting the listing, that, that's why I make a good valuer, doesn't necessarily make you a good manager. For sure. So I'm assuming you weren't on your own there when, uh, you, went, when you went to Thorpe St. Andrew. In terms of who, who's in the branch? Yeah. Or, yeah, we hired a negotiator, okay. an administrator, and started off small, so it was three of us. Okay, so how do, you said you didn't get on particularly well. Did you F it up with the management of those two then? I wasn't. I just wasn't a good manager. I didn't understand how to manage people. I didn't understand different character types. My my empathy probably wasn't there. I just didn't. You know, looking back, it was just a poor decision, and it's something I would never, never do. What as did I you own. learn? What did you learn from that? I mean, what mistakes did you make? Oh, lots. Everything. How I spoke to people in the branch, particularly. Okay. Um, my standards were so phenomenally high. And I think the way in which I grew up with my mum and dad's upbringing was phenomenally direct. It was no, no BS, it's to the point. No filter. Nothing. You know, they say exactly what they think. And in, in a business environment, you can only be that way to certain character types. You can handle it. So now I can handle that. I imagine you probably could, but some members of the team just can't handle that way of communication. So I learned the hard way how not to communicate with people. I learned the hard way how not to motivate my team. And it just caused a rift. It, it wasn't, yeah, it, looking back, it was a really poor decision. But I learned. I learned a lot of things. And, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I had to, to run a branch at 18. Did you, you must have learned quite quickly because event, over the next two years, up until 2013, you were responsible for four branches. Well, I didn't run four branches then. I was um, valuing for four branches. Okay. So I, So they took you, did they take the managership away from you then? Which one, sorry? Did they take the fact that you were a branch manager away from your branch? No, no, sorry. So the company that we we're referring to, which was D&G, I was then looking to manage other branches. So I had uh, a branch in Thorpe, a branch in NR3, North City, and then helping the other two branches, which were Deer and Road and uh, Helston. So four branches, I was there helping win business and generate. You were running your own own office. Yeah. And doing well. Yeah. And you're helping out on the valuing on all the others. Correct. Doing okay? Yeah, yeah, well, I was, I was back then a really good lister. That's what I was. I was a poor manager of people, but a really good business winner. So why did they make you redundant in 2013? Business went under. Yeah, business went under. So the first company where I was made redundant, they, they just closed down, decided they wanted to do other things. And then the second time made redundant, the business went under. So nothing, I know you're bringing the business in, but at the end of the day, it's not just your branch, it's all the others. Well, the issue with that company was the, the lettings. It was, a, it was a lesson of how not to run a business. It was a really poorly run operation. The finances weren't looked after. I mean, a lot of it is well documented online, but the way in which they ran their lettings business was, yeah, really poor. You've been re now made redundant twice, punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. That one was more of a kick in the face, that one. Yeah. Now, I've been made redundant a couple of times, and it really did, it hurt at the time, mm -hmm. best thing ever that ever, ever happened mm -hmm. is, you know, and I know it seems really tough to anyone watching this who might just be made redundant, but honestly, best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't feel like it. How did it make you feel? That one was more of a kick in the teeth because I was, I was now developing my skill set and career. 
I was 21 and you know things were moving for or 2021 20, I think now years either way I was I felt like I was gaining momentum and I felt like okay I'm now starting to get a name for yourself in Norwich yeah starting to be the guy that's doing some business whereas at the, the first firm I was you know just viewing no, like you're the new neg who's just yeah. knocking on a few doors yeah so that was more of a kick in the teeth and I loved the people I worked with I actually I'm still very good friends with one of the owners and it was a it was tough to see him lose his business but it was an amazing lesson that when I then decided to open my own business I took so much experience away from that of how not to do business so you learned how not to be a manager uh, at the first one for sure and then oh sorry and with the first branch and then when you went multi-branch and then was actually able to look at the big global view you learn how not to run a business for sure yeah a lot of a lot of things that looking back are now very clear and obvious errors and there were lots of positives i learned about togetherness team culture how to how to find great people but just the operational side of it and the finance side of it just yeah could see a lot of things that we certainly wouldn't do so in 2014 you decided to set up your own estate agency yeah, well, in that gap, I, I left one firm, made redundant, should I say, and then joined another firm called Pim & Co. So we're still going, very good firm, very reputable. They were a decent size independent with four branches. Um, and my job was just going out, winning business day in, day out. So I came away from management, went purely into Pure just winning business day in, day out. So you're 22, 21, 22 now. Yeah. Still enjoying life. Still got your buy to let, still doing any cars? No, or no, nothing. nothing. Literally, the car stuff and bike stuff all stopped. But I was flipping houses, I was buying and selling houses myself. It was doing well. I had a bit of a plan, and at that point, the owner of the business offered me to be a director and have shares in the business at 22. I got all excited, you know, great, this big independent, I'm going to be a part of this big brand. He took me to Yo Sushi. He got all the paperwork out and he said, right, let's, let's get the, the paperwork signed. And at 22, I was so excited, but I looked at this big shareholders agreement and I didn't have a clue what any of it meant. I had no understanding of even how that world operated. You know, it's easy to say I was mature at 18, 22, but there's being mature and there's understanding that kind of, that kind of situation. I felt something was wrong. I stepped away and said, I'm not comfortable signing anything here. Uh, caused a bit of a rift. And um, at that point... So he didn't even allow you to take it away and show it to a solicitor? Well, he wanted me to, there and then, get some stuff signed. Yeah. <laughs> now, he's actually a good guy. I, I still get on well with him. But um, you know, it was clear. He was, he was fearful that I was going to, at some point, leave. And that conversation, how it was broken down, the mechanics of the deal, it was a year's notice. It was 10% profit share. It, it wasn't you know, the deal that I would have wanted. And it then pushed me to selling my buy-to-let, remortgaging the house and going all in with my own branch. Just think what would have happened if that deal was fairer. Yeah. But then a 21-year-old, do you expect more than 10% of the firm? 22. 22. Um, it, it wasn't of the whole firm. It was of a, an area and a patch. And oh, right. I felt that I was going to drive that business. And I felt like I'd driven the business over the past couple of years or 18 months. So it was a... And he let just sales as well, not lettings. In that particular deal, it was just sales. I mean... What scares me is most people, you know, the value of an estate agency is the, is the value of the pipeline on the, day, on the day of completion. So actually, you're actually building up something that's not worth that much. To resell it is, but yeah. not to keep as an asset. Okay, fair goes. It's an income producer. But yeah, 10%. Was that ever going to grow? No. No, no, no. But that, either way, that was, that was a short part of the situation which helped me to make a better, better decision and at 22 say, okay, I'm now gonna go all in. But then a year later, so you're a one branch operation. Yeah, so uh, I signed the lease December the 1st, 2014. Why did you go into business with Alex Brady? 
many reasons. Firstly, doing it by yourself is, is lonely. It's tough. How did you know Alex before? We were competitors. We were competitors, yeah. So we would both go out, door knock, win business, compete against one another. He was part of, uh, of Hearts by Sir Hart. So he ran the Norwich branch and I was uh, yeah, Pim and Co. And we were both out hunting, hunting business. Two prime championship European League level valuers. If you want to call it that, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we were both the young guns that were outworking people and producing results. Quite often, there's a lot of animosity when you've got a, you know, there's, let's be honest, there's lots of valuers in the town, but there's some that you actually go, well, the he's good. Mm -hmm. Were you mates? Not really, but we had friends in common and I'd set up, I was a one man band. I was out door knocking. I was out signing people up. I was creating a pipeline all by myself. I had a, a very cheap administrator who never worked in property and bless her, dad just did not care at all about the industry. So I'd gone from being the golden boy at a company where I was signing 60 up a month to by myself signing 10, 15 up, but no one to get that buzz with. So that was a difficult period. That was a, a realization that, you know, you, you're by yourself here now. And to, do you need the adulation of others? I think I need the group connection for sure. Okay. Definitely. I, th I think there's, you know, if we look back to how we are as tribal humans, we need to be oh, in a really? tribe. And for me to be able to provide for a tribe or provide for a group is an important thing. And if you've got a part-time part administrator who don't care about, got a listing, you know, so what, what yeah. work? Sense of purpose is gone. You know, signing someone up at 2% and you're happy and it's a big instruction, you come back to the office and there's no, there's no excitement, that kills the job. And for me, that was a realization that, okay, something needs to change. And it was either I, gave up, it was either I hired someone great, but I couldn't afford somebody. It was all my own money. So I didn't have the money, I had no investor, I had no way of suddenly spending money on hiring a really great person. Alex was due to set up his business about um, 10 miles up the road from me. We met for a beer. Sorry, I thought he worked for Hart. He did, but he was about to set up his own business. Oh, about to set up his yes. own business. Did you just hear that through mutual friends then? No, he got in touch and said, I'm about to set up. Um, we're within, we're 10 miles-ish away from each other. Hopefully we can work together on some joint stuff. Can, can you help me out and sort of show me the ropes on what I need to do to set so, up? Oh, so he was ringing you up for a bit of mentoring? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I went for a beer. We, we had, a, had a pint over things and before you know it, got chatting and yeah, things developed. You nearly had your fingers burnt at Pim & Co going into partnership. Mm -hmm. Were you not worried about that? I wasn't because to be honest at the time I'd, I'd sort of had enough by myself. I, I, in my mind... Big risk. Going to business or...? No, going into... Bi not going to business, going to business with someone else. You say that, but it's been the, the best gamble I've ever taken. Oh, I know. I'm not saying not, but sure, I want to go through your mindset because there's going to be people watching this. I think you have to identify your skill sets and you have to identify other people's skill sets and you have to see how those two are going to complement one another for a better end goal. What does Alex bring to the party? You don't. He, back then, back then he brought structure. Came from a very process-driven environment from the corporate world. And that's enabled us to scale really well. So he's the process person, you're the, the people person, but both of you are driven to go and get the business, but you both do it in your own different, slightly different ways. Spot on. Yeah. And over, over the nine years of working together, that's, or eight and a half, that sort of moulded together. So you'd now say that the differences aren't as vast, but back then it was two very different approaches. So he's learned from you and you've learned from him. Absolutely. So you kind of, yeah, because I often see a lot of good valuers who are on the scale of the people versus process, mm -hmm. that they move more towards the process by the mentoring or working with someone. Yeah, again, it goes back to what you said earlier about we both of our intentions were, were right. We both wanted to win badly more than anything. We both wanted to succeed more than anything. We both were willing to outwork whoever we had to, 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 to get those results, but we both had different ways of doing it. And fortunately for us, I mean, we've never had, touch wood, a big falling out in eight and a half years, not one. 
must have had disagreements. For sure. For sure. But as long as both parties know that the other person's intentions are to get the same end result as them, of course we're going to have Has he ever ways. proved you wrong and vice versa? Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Do you know, have you learned that there are certain battles, you, do, you know, it's like in a relationship with, 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 your, with your other half, there are certain things that you, you know you're right, but you're not going to die on that hill. You know, just for this, you know. I think the way to look at it is if, if and this, we've, we've gone sort of past a couple of stages here, but if, if he wholeheartedly believes in a certain thing we need to add or change, and he believes it more than I do, we'll go with that. And vice versa, if I wholeheartedly believe a different route, we'll go with that. We, we sort of trust each other to make the right decision. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. Because at the time, it was the right decision. You then went and opened up the tricky second branch which quite often really does F things up. Mm -hmm. I always say, if you're going to open a second branch, there's only two reasons. In my, I can only share my experiences, but my experience is that if a second branch is to work, normally, and there's always exceptions to the rule here, you need one of two things to happen. Number one, a, a, an equity partner goes to the, to the business. Mm -hmm. So there's two of you, one goes one, one goes the other. Or the other one is you you create a mini me at your first branch and then you keep mini me in your existing branch and you go to the, the equity partner goes to the second one did either of those two scenarios happen with you guys you're going to be the exception to the value no 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 it, you're not far off there. i think if we look back to the growth from 2015 in together to 2017 there really wasn't any growth if you look at the first couple of years prior to opening that branch we didn't really get much momentum. It was just about staying alive as a business in those early periods. At the one branch? Yeah. But, but, but did that not, did that, how did you feel, Nate? Because you've got the two superstars, mm -hmm. Alex and you, and you're still treading water. Treading was probably a hard, hard way of me, me putting that, but we, we were making some money, but not to the levels and not to the results. Not to the, not to the, you know, the, the stats. I've looked at your stats mm -hmm. and they are, well, as I said at the start of this video, exceptional. So what you almost doing, were you creating the foundations back then for what? 2017 was when we started to actually doing some, some good business. So what? 15, 16 was really challenging. 17, it was then about seeing better results. So what did you do differently? Or was it just a case of just doing the basics and just putting the hard yards in, playing the long game, working hard like your dad? Yeah, basically. Yeah, we, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We just gave really good service. We tried to make sure people felt welcomed and cared for in the move. We, we tried to outwork by booking more viewings, booking more valuations, creating you know, good conversations on vendor care. Did you not have any wobbles at the time? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Big wobbles. Yeah, I remember getting in my car. We had one Friday. This is in the 16th set. This is before it started to... Yeah, yeah. We had a couple of big wobbles there. I, I had a couple. Alex was very level-headed and very measured. And back then, I was very emotional and couldn't quite sort of balance the, the, the passion, Portuguese passion. And we had one Friday where, and back then, we didn't have a, a very big pipeline, but a third of our pipeline fell through on one Friday. <sighs> call after call after call, back to back chains we were chain building very well and um yeah we had something back there it was like 35 40 grand fall through in a day and i went for a drive for two and a half hours and i remember i remember saying this is it i can't i can't do this anymore you weren't you know you weren't with sarah at the time we'll come on to sarah your fiance in a second how did you get through that because quite often it's your partner that helps you through that yeah, I think you just have to slap yourself in the face, toughen up and say, this is the real world. What are we going to do about it? Is that where a power of a good night's sleep comes in? <laughs> well, you probably went out for a few beers. Uh, back in those first, I'd say from 2015 to 2020, I didn't sleep very well at all. You know, it was, it was five years of, we are going to have to do whatever we've got to do to get to where we want to get to. And there's phenomenal pressure upon yourself personally and from external sources. You're managing cash flow, you're managing now Hold staff. On, expectations. You said your mum, you don't worry about the opinion of others. So of now all of a sudden, it is on your shoulders. For sure, because your name's above the door. Okay. Your name's above the door. 
And when you... Would I have liked you back in 15, 16, no. 17? No, probably not, is the honest answer. You were a bit of a machine. Yeah, and so, and so was Alex. We had to be. You know, to, to, to create the momentum of where we are today, we had, to, we, had, we had to do things that hadn't been done in the local area before. You know, we had to disrupt. A strange word. Everyone says they're a disruptor. Okay, go on. <laughs> what do you mean? No, everyone says, oh, I'm a disruptor. So what were you disrupting? Or were you just doing the basics well? Because let's be honest, most estate agents don't do the basics. They only do the basics well. Yeah, I mean, a couple of key points. Firstly was we actually have a proper thorough after-sales process, which is something that we didn't have at previous firms. It's something that still agents don't, don't do properly. After-sales, what, sale agreed or after completion? From sale agreed to completion. Okay. So you have a sales chasing unit. Ooh, that's, that's cutting edge, isn't it? Yeah, it's cutting edge. But if you see <laughs> how they how they sales progress and how they get deals through, I mean, you can look at the averages, you can look at the stats. Yeah, well above average to getting those those deals over the line. But back then, that was an important part. We, for all of our properties, we had a professional photographer. So okay. most agents only had that at the higher end homes, not at the, the lower yeah. end homes. So we had a photographer early on to essentially have all of our properties professional photography we're the only agent in norfolk that had that so that gave us a bit of a, mm -hmm. a leapfrog and then going back to your earlier question about momentum going into 2018 we said okay can we can we do it again in a, another area so did how did you do that did you split the businesses up? not legally but did one go to one one go to the other so i mean what's the the other one was in roxham so um no sorry the yes. second one was in caster on sea yeah that's quite a distance from norwich well, Roxham to Caseron Sea is about half an hour, 25 minutes to half an hour. That's still a fair old drive. Almost two and a bit hours to come see you today. Yeah, I know, but you're doing it every day, going backwards and forwards. It's a difference between coming up the A40, A17, A47 to come up to, to the metropolis of Grantham, uh, the G-Town, the Tham. What a place for a cup of tea. <laughs> so if I looked at the area there, it's a massive village. It's one of the biggest villages in the UK, supposedly, for how many homes there are there. And there was no estate agent in that area. Okay. So you saw an opportunity. Where's it normally covered from then? Great Yarmouth, which is about a mile and a half, two miles up the road. So you thought opportunity. It made sense. Do you live that side of Norwich? Too? No. So you've got some miles on the car. Huge miles on the car. What did you learn opening up the second branch? I'd hire... I would hire better people quicker and I would spend the money quicker. Okay. Were you both at the original branch and you were covering the valuing? Yes. So... Or both of you covering the valuing? No, I'd gone to set up the new branch in Caster on Sea. So I'd gone over there. I took another lad called Charlie with us as well. Left four in Wroxham. So it was four in Wroxham then. Me, Charlie and another guy we hired went over to Caster. So I think there was only eight or nine of us back then. And... In the early stages, it's just go and see all the local businesses, build a relationship with people, heavy on the leaflet drops, heavy on the paper advertising. Social media really took off for us. We were the first agent in Norfolk to really drive business from social media and gain momentum that way. 2020, you open a third and fourth branch. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, there's more branches than equity partners. Yeah, so you have to then develop a winning culture you have to develop people who have the same values as you of your work ethic, the same people that want to succeed, the same people that genuinely want to give good service. Okay. Did you hire from within or did you, or did you bring outsiders in? Did yes. You, you did? Everything's promote within at that stage. So it's not as if you brought outsiders into Deerham and then this is our way. They knew the way. There were mini me's. There you go. That's what I said earlier on. This is Dylan Watkin, uh, but on everything. Um, so the culture was there from day one. It's not as if you uh, brought in the young whippersnapper from Connell Sequence or Hart. They already were there. Yeah, that, at that point, the model was then mini me's, mini us. Yeah. And would you say that is the difference between you? Because again, when it's come back 59th in the country, mm. that is very impressive, considering that th three of those branches were only opened in 2020. Mm -hmm. or, or post really good yeah there's just so much more we can do i don't i don't see the ex 
I don't see the excitement about being buzzed up, about being in that position, because there's so much more we can do. There's so much more growth for our business, and there is there is soon to be a lot more growth for our business. You know, the potential it has is phenomenal. I've gone on record saying that, that opening more branches sometimes can be a bit egotistical, when in reality, if you've got 10% of the market in a town, it still means 90% is not going to you. Mm -hmm. Is that, a, an, is that a, something that you have wrestled with, you and Alex? Wrestled with the fact we're losing 90% of business? Well, we never had it in the first place, so you can't lose what you never had, but some estate agents grow branches because of their ego. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it in this instance, I'm just saying it. And if the job is to get more business in, to earn more money or whatever, surely it's easier to grow a business from 10% to 15% in a town than going into a new one and opening, go from zero to five. Yeah, it depends on the business strategy. A lot will open for ego. And there's an agent in Norfolk that has more branches than us, but sell a third of the properties we do. They don't scale and scalability is everything with the right processes, the right people, the right structure of who you have in that branch. You see a lot of agent, uh, agents opening branches and putting two people in, three people in. It's just never going to work. You're not going to be able to create the momentum you need to take more market share in a new area. You need a proper structure. You need to actually understand how the model works for your business and for the local market. And you need to then replicate that on a much bigger number. How are you going to do that when your branches get to eight or nine or 10 to keep that? Exactly the same way as we have now. Because you, you would have said to us when we had one branch, you won't be able to do it at branch two and branch three. Or you'd have said, actually, when you get to branch four and branch five, that's going to be really hard. We've just... Well well, they do. I've seen, I've spoken to many agents that the challenge is one to two mm -hmm. and the challenge is always after number five, four okay. or five. I had lots of people on this sofa. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm asking the question, what are you going to do? You've got through the first challenge, yeah. which is one to two. Your next challenge is well, how are you going to get over four or five? Now, if you can do it, there are some amazing estate agents out there. Mm -hmm. There's some amazing estate agents that stay at four or five and say, right, we're now going to grow all those four or five from 10% market share, which in most towns, 10% market share is market leader, mm -hmm. up to 20% or 30%. I mean, the, the challenges that we have faced and we are always working upon are, are challenges that we sit down and we tackle and we find a solution to. Because we don't work in the business at all, I don't value homes, I don't see clients. So you miss it? Parts of it I do. Yeah, I mean, the, I'll go and see the odd prime home because I know them all a friend of a friend. But generally speaking, as you scale the business, you can no longer do the things that you once did that scaled that business. You need to evolve yourself as, as a person. As in what got you there is not going to get you Abs to where you want to absolutely. go. Absolutely. Okay, so do you have any form of coaching or something like that? Are you a coach or does someone coach you? Because <laughs> what you're saying here is stuff that I would expect a coach to have taught you or um, taught yourself. Um, it's a good question. I, I think if you open your mind up to a lot of podcasts, a lot of books, and you actually implement the things that are in there. So all just, the answers are out there, aren't they? All the information is out there. It's never been easier, never been easier to be great at something ever before. Never been easier than, than it is right now. All the information is out there. The YouTubes you can watch, the podcasts you can listen to. I mean, we're sitting here for a, an hour or so showing how we can scale a business. It's never been easier. And you've got the best people in the UK, in the world, sharing this information for free, but people don't listen and they don't implement it. They're too busy sitting on TikTok or something else than they well, are. You've got to watch the cat videos on Roombas. I love those. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I bet you do. Watch, are you a tipping point man? What, the, the, the TV programme yeah, with I the can, coins? I can see you. I do, like, I do like to go to, I do, when I go to uh, the seaside, <laughs> So we were in Southwold a uh, couple, couple of months ago. I do like to take a couple of quid and put the two Ps in. Nice. Yeah, I've got this technique where you go, Ch -ch -ch -ch. That's not far from my lowest off branch. There you go. Yeah. Do like it, I do like it. That's the problem. Yes. So Sorry. the problems in the estate agency generally are people. That is uh, the, yes. the biggest part it's of- It's people and process. And process, you've got Alex and you've learned to be, and well done for being on, the, in, not in the business, but on the business. I think that's a big one, isn't it? Huge. Did you not fear lacking control? Of course. Of course there are challenges. But that comes down to how you train the people that are filling the gaps that you're leaving. You have to have a proper overlap, thorough process where if I'm going to be stepping out as a valuer, I need to make sure I've got a really sharp valuer who understands the business, the culture, what we're about as a brand, 
and how we communicate that with a potential client. Okay, so that's, that's process. How do you create this culture? It's a, it's a hard one because it's like, it's like asking how do you deal with people? You know, it's about relationships. It's about understanding the people that work within the business. What, why are you here? I ask them that sometimes. Do you have many people leave you? Of course. Of course, people who unfortunately for us aren't good enough and we have to let go of. Um, touch wood, we, we don't have people leave us to join other agents. It just doesn't happen. So for us, we're, we've got a good, you know, a good thing there. But we have people where the industry isn't suitable for them. Do you believe that when you bring someone in, do you like to promote from, from within the industry or people who are from outside the industry? Our recruitment process never stops. What does that look like? Um, so we've got ads rolling non-stop. We've got CV, a big CV bank where we store lots of CVs. We separate them into separate folders. So I've got an operations executive and an operations director who work with the miners and Brady and their job is, is recruitment. So they will have CVs come in, store them into different possible roles. Are they going out there and looking at and saying, you need to watch him, he looks like a good lad? Yeah. Yeah, so we've got a subsbench for every position in our business. Do they know that, does that person know they're on the subsbench? Not the subsbench, it's not the right term we use for them, but we do, we explain to them that, you know, they're on our radar, we've, we've began the conversation, and when the right role comes up, we'll be in touch. And we will keep in touch with those people regularly, so that if we do need to hire for a certain position, we've spent that time wisely and built the relationship. That's unheard of. I mean, it's, it's page one stuff. Mm -hmm. It's very smart. There's a lot of stuff that we do that I'm cautious how much I give away on these cameras. I've just remembered they're there. But there's a lot of stuff we do like that, a lot of stuff. Yeah, but like you say, all the answers are out there. No one's going to do it. Honestly, no one's going to do it. And that's why I felt more comfortable. Because <laughs> people can't be bothered. They can't be bothered. So we have a recruitment process. We had a recruitment event recently where we hosted a big event, food, drinks, etc., um, which was good. People from outside of the industry. Um, we hired six off the back of that, which is fantastic. And the way we look at it is our next aim is to go from five branches to 10 branches. Now to do that, Chris, we need to have five more branch managers, five more valuers, five more senior negotiators. And how we have to do that is we have to fill so the- So you're gonna take over the whole of Norfolk? Well, well, we'll go we'll go further adrift than Norfolk. Yeah. What, like East Anglia? I mean, you're East. I think there's only one of the firm in East Anglia that's bigger than you, and that's Connell Sequence, mm -hmm. William H. Brown, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So that's um, Norfolk, Suffolk, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire, and Essex. Yeah. So where, if I, yeah, I know we're we're not not at the end of the video yet, but if I was your uh, 31 now on your 40th birthday, where will you our next be? Cost nine years away. That's a hard one. I mean, that's 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 longer than our journey so far. That's a tricky one. Um, I mean, it depends on the journey we go down. You know, we've now acquired. Oh, is the, the I know you've acquired Norfolk Mortgages as well. Oh, and in your personal life, you met Sarah, and you've got a little, little exactly a little boy. Yeah, Has that made a difference? Huge. Has that given you more of a holistic approach? What's Sarah done for you? Sarah, Sarah is, um, she is, she is a rock. She is a, she has helped the business scale over the past three years. Is and, Sarah and, in the business? And so is my son. Is Sarah in the business? No. Well, not really. She, she's helping in the back end with, you know, off the record PA stuff, basically. Yeah. So what does Sarah, what has Sarah done for you then? I think for me, having a family has created a different lifestyle for me it's forced me to go down a, a big personal growth journey and a journey whereby I don't really go out and drink and party anymore, which I used to do a lot. No, because you've got a little one and a missus to look after. Fiance, yeah. when are you getting married? Possibly next year or the year after. Okay, you youngsters, eh? There's a lot going on, Chris. There you go. There's a lot to sort. Just, just go down to the local hotel and rent a room. Did you know, just say you're having a family wedding and <laughs> a, a family, bar, family party, the prices come down, something rotten. There you go. That's got to be the strategy. There you go. What about your strategy? Um, so you've got a, a wonderful fiance and a, and, a, and a young son, Maxwell. You've got a five branch network and you go, you're working with Alex um, and you, you've bought in like different things with Norfolk mortgages and things like that. What was your motivation of setting up a podcast? Um, so different avenues here to look at the, f the first avenue is that in norfolk people felt as though there was no one coming out of norfolk that had anything about them they weren't inspiring people they had no motivation they had no drive so for me it was like well i know that's not true 
a lot of people from Norfolk just don't shout about it. So I wanted to create a platform where people had a chance to share share their story, their highs and lows. And what's this podcast called? The Growthcast. So why don't you call it the Norwich Growthcast? Because you know how it, how it may evolve. Norfolk. It may evolve. Hmm. You have to think about scalability. I think, no, I think you're missing the trick then. You have to think about scalability. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, mate. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. <laughs> Is this is you said it was for the first thing you said was it was it was for for Norfolk people. That so. was the first part, yeah. Go on. Second part is that the journey of business is phenomenally hard that people don't talk about enough. The highs and lows are phenomenal. The sleepless nights, the pressure, the stress, the the self doubt, the everything that comes with running your own business. People don't talk about enough because it wasn't the cool or done thing to do. Mm. And certainly in my upbringing, talking about anything like that was like an absolute no-no. And, and I know this sounds slightly ironic because you're sitting on the walking sofa here. Yeah. What was your motivation? What was your true motivation behind it? It wasn't purely altruistic, was it? No, usually it was. It was at the time for sure. I, d I don't. I don't need that to feed into my my property business. There's no link there. Whatsoever. Is this an out? Is this a you, you're missing the cut and thrust of being out on the, at the on the on the proverbial sofa. Mm -hmm. You're working on the business, not in the business. So did you need some kind of outlet? Because I'll be straight with you. That's why I do this. Mm -hmm. I I need an outlet. You know, my job is ghostwriting articles about the property markets mm -hmm. in local towns. But I would go absolutely up the wall if all I did was that. And my motivation of doing these sofa chats mm -hmm. is just so I get to meet interesting people because I love talking to interesting people. Is is your is that your? Yeah, I would I would say it's a like a human human connection thing, isn't it? Mm. You get to thrash something out with another like-minded business owner. They tell you about all the highs and lows, and you feel the excitement of yeah. what they're going through. And yeah, oh, of course. So how long have you been doing that? Uh, about a year now. Yeah, just just recorded nine uh, episodes, which are going out as of next week onwards. So it's generally business based, but it goes into a lot of people's yeah challenges, ups and downs along the journey. It's very honest, very yeah. There's some bad language in it sometimes. It's very, very from the heart. I was a bit naughty asking you about where I would see you in nine years' time. And what I would like to do is probably let's just go somewhere in the middle ground. Is we're in 2000, early 2024. Talk to me about what the next five years look like. Okay. So the strategy this year, given the fact that last year we acquired half of a mortgage business or mortgage broking business, now it's to diversify revenue streams. And it's to ensure that the business has better growth over a longer period of time without me in the business. So day to day, I'm no longer day to day in Miners and Brady. I don't go in there in the meetings. I don't know. Um, the greatest respect, the homes we sell. My job now is to keep growing from the back end, if you like, acquiring lettings businesses and acquiring estate agencies. So we aim to purchase at least four this year. Hopefully that will quadruple our lettings book. That's the aim by the end of this year is to 4X our lettings. And then moving forward to have an operational system where our company can scale without me being there at all. And you have your outlet with regard to your podcast so you don't get bored because the amount of people that I've seen who get bored and they go and set up a piece of prop tech firm or something, you know, the amount of agents out there setting up a bloody prop tech, most of it's crap. Some, mm -hmm. some of it's amazing, but most of it's crap. For me, coaching others is where my passion is. It's my guy. It's, it's for me. Is that your own or others? My, other, other businesses. Yeah. So I've got okay. a company called 360 Growth Coach. And I coach other business owners in different sectors, some in property, um, e-commerce, engineering, various other businesses. If I had Alex on the sofa, would, I, would you say, well, hold on a second, is your job not to look after Miners and Brady? I can still do that. <laughs> you can do that? <laughs> oh, of course you can, because you've got the operational sense. You've got the operations director, head of finance, head of letting. What's his outlet? What's his outlet? Yours is obviously the coaching. Speedway. So he was coaching Kingsland Speedway. He was a oh, it some of that. Yeah, he was a professional uh, manager. Still is? Uh, not anymore. No, no. But he's still very involved in the speedway scene. There's talks of him going to be a great, great British manager one day. I'm not sure if I should say that or not. But <laughs> so you are both of you are classic entrepreneurial. You're business people who just happen to be estate agents. 
I would say, or you're both. You're, it's a tricky. I would say he is more of an estate agent inside out, and I would actually say he's a better estate agent than me, inside out. But I would say I'm more comfortable when it comes. You're to a the business difference. person who just happens to be then into a estate agency. Probably, yeah. Probably. There's not many people I can throw this at, but. You know, and I would say the likes of Spencer Lawrence. I would say the likes of Luke Sinclair. I would say this um, um, Michelle Gallagher. Um, have two aspects which I really admire in a good estate agent, and you have them. So you go blow smoke. I'm going to blow smoke up your ass here. You feeling? You feeling okay? Yeah is that you have two things which I admire in a great business person. You have the hunger, yet you're humble with it. You have humility. The hunger comes from your father. A 31-year-old with five offices doing really well, 59th biggest estate agent in the country. Final question. Where does that humility come from? Where have you learned it? <laughs> I I wouldn't say I have the humility, but I would say that I'm aware of the gap between where we are and where we could get to. So I would just I rephrase that in my mind where I just know there's so much more we could do. I'm not saying you're not confident, but there is some humi there is humility there. Because normally I would expect a 31-year-old with five branches. Okay, you turned up in a nice car. I won't judge you on that one. Big wheels, fairy lights. But you are Quick. quite a level-headed young man. I think it's the gap. It's the gap between where I realise we could get to and the gap between where I think our potential is as a business versus where we are now. And for me, that's, that's the... If you're sensing some humility, it's that gap. It's the gap between the, the, the levels we could get to. Now, if we had a corporate funder, if we had a, a big company and we had a private equity company make us an offer to buy into our business, and if we'd have taken a private equity deal... I have no doubt we could make this a, a huge national company. And there is a big gap between five small branch, you know, independent. We might be the biggest independent in the east of England, but that, that's one small part. So it's the gap between where we are today and where we want to take the business. And it's either we grow it more, we sell out. And yeah, we... That's, hung that's hunger. You want to do the business, but there is some humility there. I'd, uh, maybe I can't see it very well. Maybe I just see it as the gap between where we are currently do you think, and where we could get to. Do you think to. having a good business partner, you've, you know, you've been surrounded by some excellent people. You've got, a, you've got a passionate mother. You've got a heart, a father that's instilled hard work in you. Mm -hmm. And then you've also got a wonderful fiancé and a business partner. And it just, all the stars have aligned. Those two are awesome. Alex is a brilliant business partner. Brilliant, brilliant. We've, but if you've got earlier. too big for your boots, it's like... If you got too big for your boots... He wouldn't. Who, he would, would, who would slap you down? Me. I would catch my own rubbish and then bring myself back down to earth. And my fiancé now would, would rein some of it in as well. Jamie, thank you for your frankness. A wonderful story. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.